It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to episode 186 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk to two ladies that qualified for the Olympic trials at CIM. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational. And let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Hey runners and welcome to episode 186. My name is Letty. I am your host. My name is Ryan. And he is our co-host. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you for tuning back in if you're a long-time listener. And if you are new, welcome. We do a podcast every week. And normally we talk about training, nutrition, things of that nature. And every once in a while we have these super inspiring episodes. And guess what, Ryan? Today is an inspiring episode. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say that, but you took the words out of my mouth. So that's neat. We're talking about the Olympic qualifiers. Yes, and we're talking about the last chance race, which was last weekend. CIM, the California International Marathon, happened. And it was two days before the deadline, the deadline for the Olympic trials to submit your marathon or half marathon time was December 5th. And so, you know, that was the last weekend before that. Super exciting because we have some interesting statistics. So the total number of qualified runners is 400. Yes, and that's a lot less than in 2020. And that was because they've changed the qualifying standard so much. It was seven minutes for women. I don't remember exactly how much it was for men. So out of those 400, that's 173 women that qualified and 227 men. And now the statistics for CIM, there were 15 qualifying women that ran a qualifying time and 31 men. I don't know if some of them had already qualified previously and just ran this marathon for fun who knows maybe they were trying to go for the actual olympic time standard and not just the olympic qualifiers but that's not a lot of runners which makes it super exciting right yeah do you know how many people were added to the list no we don't know that but i know that some of them were probably also there to meet the olympic standard which i know is for men 20810 and CJ Albertson, for example, I'm imagining he already had a qualifying time and he was probably running for that um, specific goal. But like I said, I don't know how many men or women went for that. So Letty, of the 400 people that qualify, they have to run in February? Yes. So the race will take place in Orlando on February 3rd. And that's when you, you talked about that in the past about... The racers want to get the earlier time, right? Yes, they wanted to change the race to a more normal time. They were set to start at 12. Now I think they start around 10 o'clock. I'll have to check. And even Orlando, Florida, 12 o'clock could be really hot even even in February. It just depends. Yeah, it really depends on the day. Yeah, the weather fluctuates a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not so simple, but eventually the top three male and female runners will end up going to the Olympics. But this isn't their only shot. Yeah, I believe so. I think there are exceptions to the rule of, you know, not the first three coming in. I think there's more to it. And hopefully I will be able to inform myself in the next couple of weeks so I can give you more accurate answers to that one. Because I know it gets pretty complicated with that. Yeah, I know in other, some other sports, it's like you get the the top people in your country. But if you're also top in the world, 
then you get more positions essentially. So I, I don't know. Yeah, if anyone knows, you can let us know, and Letty's going to do some research because we don't know exactly how that works. So who are you interviewing today? So today I am interviewing Mary Denholm and Sophie Schenk. Mary ran a 236.28 in, at CIM, and Sophie ran a 236.22 at CIM. They were friends in the past, and obviously now too. And so it was really cool to see how they worked together in this race, which I absolutely love seeing. I know that a lot of times people fall into the trap of comparison and they're competing against each other, even though with something like this, what you're trying to do is qualify and beat that 2.37 clock time. So I loved hearing how they helped each other um, by just being there and doing certain things. So yeah, super excited. They're very positive and uplifting stories and I can't wait to share them right now. Yeah, I really like the idea of in running how you can just beat a time, which then makes it more of a team effort and you don't have to like, you know, you don't, you're not actually directly competing against somebody else. You're competing against yourself for like the Olympic trials and things like that. Obviously, if you're like at the top and you're going to win, then it's a little bit different. You are competing with other people, but for a lot of these people and most runners, you're kind of just competing with yourself for a certain time. It doesn't matter if someone else gets the same time. It's encouraging to help them get the same time. It's kind of fun. Exactly. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what both of them depicture. They're so uplifting. So you want to hear from them? Let's get into it. All right. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Mary and Sophie. All right. So I am here with Sophie and Mary, two ladies that recently, last weekend, qualified at CIM for the Olympic trials. Sophie and Mary, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. So you guys are sitting down. You're not running this week, I'm assuming. <laughs> I have so many questions. And I guess we'll start at the beginning before we talk about last weekend. Maybe we can start with you, Sophie. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and explain what you do, how long you've been running, what you do when you're not running, and what other obligations you have um, besides, uh, obviously, running? Yeah, so um, I actually, I currently live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I work as an engineer in the defense industry, so I work at Sandia National Labs. Um, my background is actually in biomedical engineering, and I'm a type 1 diabetic, so on the side I do my own diabetes research, um, volunteer, coach. I coach youth soccer and track. My background is soccer. I still play soccer quite a bit, and I love skiing in the winter. Um, I also have a dog, Simcoe, you probably saw her in the camera. Uh, so she's kind of my life right now. And, um, yeah, I like to go out to breweries, hang out with friends and, and have a good time. That's awesome. That's a, that's quite a lot. So do you work 40 hours a week? I do. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I'm lucky that we can be pretty flexible. So I do get every other Friday off. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I do work 40 hours a week, sometimes more. Wow, that's a lot. So this is something we're going to hop back into once we talk about your training. So I want to move on to Mary. Mary, hello. And uh, can you tell us about yourself, where you live, what you do? And same with Sophie, what other challenges or obligations you have in, on a daily basis? Sure. Uh, I live in Erie, Colorado, and I've actually only lived here for a year. I... Um, used to be a trial attorney. I was a lawyer for 10 years, uh, formerly from Maryland. My career, I then switched careers to marketing and that kind of took me all over the place. And that's actually how I met Sophie. I used to live in San Diego and she did too. We were on a running team together there, Prado Racing Team for, gosh, I think it was like two years or just shy of two years. Um, and then I, my career in marketing took me to Flagstaff and then it took me to Santa Barbara. Um, I actually left that career a little over a year ago and dove into full-time run coaching. I work for Lift Run Perform. Um, and so, yeah, that's about me. I'm also a dog mom as well. My dog, Max, we have that in common. That's awesome. And what beautiful places you've lived at. How do you like where you're living now? I love it. I love 
trail running and mountain running and I'm able to do that. Uh, I am also a former skier. Sophie, we need to like plan a trip and (laughs) can help me get back into that. Uh, I actually grew up ski racing. I went to college in Vermont and I don't think I've alpine skied since 2012, actually. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you're both fast and you're telling me a little bit about your background having trained together in San Diego. So have you guys always been fast or was that something that just happened over the last few years? Fast is a relative term. My first marathon was a 339 and I was stoked. I like that's back when, you know, the qualifying time for women was 340 for Boston and I was 19 and I was in college. And I never, I didn't do another one until 2015. And, you know, from there I've chipped away 303, sub three, chipping away in the 250s, chipping away through the 240s down to now 236. So I, you know, I've, it's been a long journey for me to get where I am. I want to say this was like my 15th marathon. Uh, so, you know, I've been proud of every, every race I ran. That's amazing. What about you, Sophie? Yeah. So for me, um, I, let's see, I, I played soccer all throughout, um, youth and well, I did multiple sports. So I, I ran track, played soccer, skied basketball. Um, I ultimately played soccer in college and I was actually a goalkeeper. So minimal running. I mean, I always love strength and conditioning, but with, uh, managing my diabetes, I just could not figure out running at all. <laughs> so then fast forward a few years in grad school, uh, I joined a running club and actually one of the faculty members that was, it was through my college. Um, he was type one and taught me how to manage diabetes running longer distances. So I did my first half and then they encouraged me to run a marathon. I thought they were absolutely insane. <laughs> I actually, my watch died in my first marathon and I just kind of ran with a group and ended up running a 252. Uh, so I'm fortunate to just be able to have that experience right away. And so this was around 2016. And from there, I was like, oh, let's try to get faster. Let's qualify for Boston. And so I thought to get faster, you just pack on all the miles. But I had no background in doing that and I ended up injured for like three or four years straight. Um, off and on. I did do another marathon. Uh, I did Boston with a stress fracture. It was around the time I moved to San Diego, uh, met Mary and Prada Racing Team. And I think joining Prada Racing Team, it was the first time I ever did cross country and realized I love shorter distances and it's not just endurance running. So that brought the competitive side back and actually um, from there, I started kind of jumping in with the marathon crew again and like redoing, building up to a marathon and and got the itch again and did CIM in 2019. Um, In 2019, I just missed qualifying. So I was like 249. I had a pretty bad bonk in there. Um, Gave up the marathon a little bit as I moved back to New Mexico and focused on just speed and um, trying to PR in shorter distances. And I didn't get really the bug to run another marathon until like January of this year. So, yeah. That's amazing. Um, Let me ask you a couple follow-up questions just for a lot of Mm -hmm. us don't know. Type 1 diabetes, that's the one that you're born with. Tell me how you have to, or what you have to do during races and stuff or beforehand to manage it, something that we don't have to do. Yeah. So, and and I actually was diagnosed in high school. Uh, A lot of people are diagnosed when they're born with it. Um, Mine was later. We don't really know what caused it. It could have been like an autoimmune attack on my uh, immune system. So that changed my trajectory in high school quite a bit. And um, now the technology's come like so far. I actually think in a way I, I have an insight into my body. So I see like my glucose on a daily basis so I can help it. Uh, I can use that to help me with fueling. Um, but it's, it is such a challenge, especially this year with a lot of like personal and like work stress, uh, just like sitting here, my blood sugar can spike and I have to go take insulin and the fueling around training um, is something I really had to learn. I think after my uh, marathon two months before CIM, um, that's something I took for granted and, and didn't pay enough attention to. So I really have to pay attention to when I'm eating my carbs but make sure I get enough carbs during the race while like, I'm having an adrenaline spike. And so balancing that with taking insulin 
and even just like rest days, like I have to take more and um, very much like strategically cycle, like when I'm eating carbs and try to pair them with protein and fat. So they like they absorb slower. Wow. That's involved. Um, what do you use for fueling? This time around, I used a, a combination of Yukan and gummy bears. So um, actually, gummy bears have some protein in them if you get the Haribo. Um, most people don't know that. Um, but even like the two grams of protein in like 15 gummy bears, uh, it slows how fast the carbs go into my system. But you also still get that quick sugar. Um, and you can take like a few at once versus a lot at once. So just like I kind of do like every mile, I'll have some gummy bears. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. Question, Sophie, do you use caffeine too? I'm just curious. I do. Yeah, um, I do. And I, I'm like a caffeine fanatic. I, I love coffee, <laughs> but I have noticed that caffeine can spike your blood sugars as well. So I, I love having caffeine during the race, but since I'm usually spiking from an adrenaline rush, I try to limit how much caffeine I have. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I did have caffeine at like mile 20 on Sunday and I think it helped a lot. I needed it. So, yeah. So let me uh, talk to you guys about your training for this marathon. How many weeks of training do your cycles normally include? And then maybe talk to us a little bit about your base mileage, what your highest mileage was, workouts, just take us down your road a little bit. I'm laughing because like Sophie and I both had like very untraditional training cycles. For <laughs> Sophie, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so let's see. Uh, well, well, like I said, so I ran a half marathon in the middle of January is the Arizona rock and roll marathon or half marathon in January, uh, in the middle of ski season off of like minimal training and minimal mileage. Um, I was skiing a lot. I did put some tempo runs in there and long runs as I was able to. So I, I luckily have a, a track club here that I run with Duke's track club. Um, but a lot of it was alone and, and before skiing, but when I ran that race off of I probably 40, 50 miles a week and PR'd by four minutes, it was the first time I ever broke an hour and 20 minutes and a half. Um, I was like, you know what? I really do love like the competitive competitiveness and, and I'm going to jump back into training. So I chose to do Carlsbad 5000 in San Diego. And that was going to be my like B race to build up to grandma's. Um, but I started to get this weird nerve injury again and, and I hadn't been injured in years. And I think I realized I was a little burnt out and needed to just like take a step back, reevaluate my training. So the non-traditional training that Mary was mentioning, I, I switched to just doing a lot of strength based training. So I went to the gym more, found a gym um, here in Albuquerque and a, a trainer. So it's Elevate and um, have an awesome trainer, Claire, who kind of put a plan in place for me to match with the mileage. And I think the first block training for, so I was mentioning, I did the McCurdy micro marathon. Um, my base mileage was really only like that 55 to 65 range, which is pretty manageable for me with a works like heavy work schedule and going to the gym three to four times a week, which I think is a lot of why I have managed the injuries over the years. And um, keeps that like speed element that I love, like from my soccer background. Um, so from there I, I did New York. Um, I think we realized I wasn't able to complete that last six miles and it might've just been not going long enough in my long runs and, and trying to nail my nutrition and my insulin and simulating race day. Um, so we decided to add a little bit more mileage a week. So I actually maxed out at like 82 for CIM, which is the most I've ever done in my life. So I think before that for CIM 2019, I'd been at like 70 and I was just on that fine line of injury, but it was pretty cool to see that I was able to do a couple of mileage weeks in the eighties and um, stay healthy through it and kind of balance adding in the speed. But I wasn't trying to go out there and hit 80 miles per week. It was more, we just needed the extra mileage. And I was really paying attention to my body and especially after New York, like if I needed extra rest days to take them. So, so with that, how many uh, speed workouts did you do at that high mileage? Maybe tell our listeners what the percentage was 
from easy runs, how slow your easy runs were, and then, you know, how many speed days or how many miles at speed pace did you do? Yeah, um, so I'm a big fan of like hard days hard and easy days easy. So my hard days were anything from like 10 to 15 miles in total. And I would try to go on the track like once a week. If not, um, I ha I'm fortunate I live right next to a bike path um, here that's actually rolling hills, so similar to CIM. Um, and just do tempo tempos and speed there. And I, I always try to couple my tempos with some speed. Um, uh, that's one time a week. And then I would do a long run with some like marathon pace incorporated in there, um, either slightly over marathon pace or under marathon pace, depending on the day. What is marathon pace at 237 and faster? 558. So sub six and then your easy runs, what pace is your easy quote unquote pace? I honestly go on effort. Um, and I feel like Mary's probably the same. I, mm -hmm. I sometimes do have to look at a watch to make sure I don't go too fast. I think um, when I went through those years of being injured, my easy runs were too fast. And it was mainly just because I was going with a group that was comfortable running that pace for easy and it, it just wasn't fitting me. And I, I also go on the trails here. So um, similar to Mary, I live close to trails again and, and I'll just go out for an hour on trails and it already keeps the pace easier because it's hilly and, and in the mountains. Perfect. I go by heart rate. For easy runs, I keep it under 140, and I won't even, like, in the 130s, right? Like, I won't even look at what pace it is. And some days, that's an eight-minute mile. Some days, that's an 850, which is three minutes off our goal marathon pace. Um, you know, shakeout run, I'll keep it under 130. Uh, and that tends to be, like, the lower, like, in the higher eights. Um, the lower eights, for me, tend to be, like, the 130 range. Uh I don't spend a lot of time, Sophie, you can probably relate to this, in like the seven minute range. Um, it's like either I'm doing like my speed workouts, which is sub six, or I'm running an eight minute mile. Like every now and then there'll be a run in the sevens, but a lot of times that's kind of like that middle, it's not a gray area, but it's just, it's quicker end of easy and it's, you know, the easy runs being truly easier would allow you to stay injury free and observe the work and get the most out of yourself on your quality session days. I mean, that's where you're going to get fit. That's where the work actually happens. I love it. I feel like there's so much pressure with everyone sharing Strava and comparing and, and all that, that people just end up running too fast because they don't want to look slower. So that makes complete sense. And um, for you, Mary, what did your training look like? How many weeks were in high mileage? What did high mileage look like for you? And let's hear about your untraditional training. <laughs> I have yet to have like a perfect training cycle on paper. I've learned to not wait for it. And so September last year, I missed just shy of six weeks of like all activity. I found out I had a labrum tear, which is not a new injury. It's in by my labrum in my hip. I've had what I would describe as hip flares since 2018. They were, they would happen like every year 18 months two years and they'd take me out for like a week or you know a week and a half something like that and it always manifested differently like you know i thought it was my my tfl and my hip or my glute meat or my quad or whatever but i come to find out it's it's my labrum and so i was supposed to do cim last year but i ended up scratching because i needed to do strength like sophie said strength work has been huge for her and keeping her injury free running her best i was told you don't you, you won't need surgery if you do the strength thing i became a strength girl committed to two days a week and then i shifted to three days a week this winter and then as i was building in the spring i've shifted back to two days a week and that's that seems to be my happy medium and i do also hit usually a yoga class once a week like a power yoga class it's kind of like a lighter strength if you will but that's kept me, I haven't had any issues with my hip since I did that. And so last fall was all about rehabbing, getting my body strong again, running low mileage. And then I started a build for grandmas in January. Um, so that training cycle was very much a comeback training cycle. And I ran a half marathon in 
uh, April at what I ultimately raced this marathon this past weekend at. And I knew going into it, it was like my PR was like soft in the fact that I had run it like five times before and also in a marathon. So I was like, you know, maybe I could squeeze something out, but also maybe not. And I ended up not. It was my slowest half marathon in five years. And I didn't let it get me down because I know you can turn that into your marathon pace, even like six weeks later, because I was on this like big upswing. And so I went into grandma's definitely, I would say like on paper ready for the goal, just based off of like what I was splitting during training, how those efforts felt. You know, I've done this long enough. Like I know how marathon pace should feel. I know what I need to split. And for me, it was not a good weather day. It was 70s. Humidity was out. It was like 100% humidity or something like that in direct sun. And I got to mile 20 and I started throwing up and it was just like the slowest 10k to finish. And I ended up running three minutes off my PR at the time was 240. I ran 243. So I didn't allow it to discourage me because I said I have more opportunities this fall to go after the goal. So took off. I spent the summer actually running a lot of trail and mountain running, did actually a lot of vertical gain. Like for a month of July, I wasn't focused on pace at all. I was running a ton of vert. I mean, like, I think I hit like 20,000 in vert one week. I was just running mountains. Like if you want to talk about some slow miles, you can see some slow Strava. I was like running like, you know, like 12, 17 minute miles, like up mountains and tell you ride. <laughs> But it, that's what I love, and that's what brings me joy, and it also makes me so strong. Because when I got back from a trip, I took like pretty much three weeks, almost like the whole month of July. I hit road training, and I was splitting significantly faster than what I was hitting for my grandma's training. I was targeting Berlin Marathon, and my training in August and into September was just killer. Like my threshold has never been faster and I live at altitude. I'm talking like comparing the sea level. Like I was hitting faster at altitude than I ever did at sea level for my threshold. Same thing for marathon pace. I couldn't wait to race Berlin. Like I knew I was capable of the goal and I could not wait. I got sick two weeks before the race. And from there, like I was just having these like waves of symptoms that reminded me very much of COVID. Like I was like, I'm very worried I have COVID and I kept testing and it was negative and I would start to feel better. I would run, do a workout, but I just like wasn't feeling myself. And I started to have some hip niggles like popping up, which for me, every time I've had COVID, it goes after my hip because it's inflammatory. I was feeling well enough to still get on the airplane the week before the race go to Berlin. I had a trip planned with my mom. It was not refundable. And I said, you know, maybe it's some extra rest with the taper. Like I'll feel better. I did not. I got over there and I didn't run even every day that was scheduled. Like I missed runs. I was sleeping like 10 to 12 hours a night and like still tired and like having on and off like cold, like symptoms. And I was like, something is wrong with me and I don't know what it is. And so in talking to my coach, we shifted the goal from this is your goal race to let's just use it as a supportive long run. And then two days before the race, I was feeling worse. And I said, I don't even think I should do a long run. I certainly shouldn't do like an extra long run. Like this is dangerous. I worry about like my long-term health, like no race is worth it. And like, obviously I'm not going to race to my potential to like what I've trained to do. So as hard as it was to literally be there and like want to just go the distance. Cause like, I want to do all the world marathon majors. It's like, I'm right here. I want to do this race so I can just get my medal, go home. <laughs> I decided not to line up at all. And I got home and a couple days later, I got sick again and I tested positive for COVID. I could not believe it. It was the most wild three weeks of like not feeling myself, just feeling terrible, but I'm so glad I listened to my intuition. I've seen the fallout from people who train and race through COVID who have serious long-term issues, whether that's bone, heart, lung, it's just not worth it. So very proud that I made that decision. Um, I started back running 
it was the first week of October and I had eight weeks from my negative test to CIM. And so we were really careful. Like I ran low mileage for a week, the easy only stepped up the mileage the next week, easy only. My one workout the following week was like 200s at like threshold pace or something like that. (laughs) The following week it was 400s, I think at threshold. And then the end was three weeks, really hard hitting workouts three times a week to just like kind of pull out the fitness that I had from that Berlin training cycle. It was a period of lower mileage, uh, way more quality. I had to take extra rest days and be okay with it. Cause like my, just my recovery was lagging like after COVID. And honestly, those, that three week period was to not only try to pull out that Berlin fitness, but also to make sure that I was confident that I could safely line up and do a marathon. I wouldn't have lined up if I didn't think that I could safely go the distance and put together a race that I was proud of. And so really what my training cycle was, was like, cumulative fitness and just doing enough to, you know, get it done on race day. And so that's why in going out, you know, I, I paced it the way I needed to in order to set myself up in the best position to achieve the goal, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. And I'm sorry about Berlin, but the good news is that you have a obvious time qualifier. You can just sign up for Berlin. You're one of the few that can just do that. So, um, wow. So I guess, I mean, hearing both of you talk, there was no question that you guys both knew you were going to be able to do it. Like it wasn't kind of a guessing game. You knew your training was there. So maybe walk us through the race. I'm sure there was a ton of anxiety knowing that this was the last chance for the next four years to qualify for this Olympic trials. So, um, Sophie, let's start with you. How did race day feel? Maybe walk us through some highlights of that day. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, um, I, I really appreciate Mary's story because I think I had some similar feelings, uh, before CAM, um, by New York one, I felt pretty perfect going into it, nailed every workout, didn't put it together. Um, CIM, I, I actually, even though I was able to hit like the mileage, there was a couple workouts in there. I just kind of scrapped in the middle and, and I actually was on antibiotics like the two weeks before, uh, cause I got an infection on my arm from my glucose monitor. So like nothing was that perfect. And so the confidence actually lining up at CIM, I knew I had done the workouts, but there was still this like edge about me that, you know, like it hasn't been perfect the last month. Like there's been these little things that pop up the holidays, I really wanted to enjoy time with family. And I I didn't, I wasn't as strict as I was before New York with kind of like my lifestyle. I really just wanted to enjoy CIM um, and give myself a chance to qualify, but kind of took that end goal a little bit out of my mind. And and that was a different mentality than New York. And I think that's kind of how my race at CIM went. So um, I think the first half I don't know why I just did not feel good. Um, and good is relative. I think I felt good enough to hold the, the OTQ pace. So my plan was to stick with the back part of the pack and just be really patient. Unlike I was at, um, New York. So, um, there I, I was kind of like in, in the front trying to like race really took the first half of the race for granted and feeling really good. Whereas I was almost the opposite. I, I didn't feel amazing. So I held back a bit. Um, I actually had a teammate um, from Albuquerque and a teammate from San Diego. They, they didn't even realize they were running together, um, catch up to me because they're in the men's um, just general start. And, and they caught up to me and they were chatting. They're like, how are you feeling? And I wasn't even responding. And I'm like, just pick it up with us a little bit. I'm like, nope, I need to be patient. Like I'm, I learned that lesson. So just kind of like was looking down and, and just gritting it out for 10 to 12 miles, like focus on your nutrition plan, like do everything we planned on. Um, maybe it'll turn around. And, and finally, like I actually saw Mary and she was like, how are you doing? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> my quad hurts. Like, why does my quad hurt? And she's like, shut it up. And so when you told me that, I was like, all right, shut it up. Like, okay, it's going to be fine. Like that's not the, the leg that failed in New York. Like I, I just had flashbacks. I'm like, you're right. It could turn around. So I actually lost the pack around like mile 12 or 13. And I was like, this is just like, I just think my friend was there watching. And I was like, next time I see him, I'm, I might have to tell him I'm, I'm done. 
And I don't know what changed, but I think I, I surged to catch the pack. I'm like, you, this is your last chance. Like you have to go for it. Like if your leg falls off, if you, if you bonk, you bonk, like whatever. So I surged and I think just like that action of like sprinting ahead and it was on a hill reminded me of like, you're strong on hills. Like that's your race mentality. Like just compete. Um, and I think seeing Mary like really helped like call me on the gap like she knows this race she is so experienced like I know her build hasn't been perfect either but like just match her moves and like react and, and race and I like by mile 15 somehow like it was a whole new day and I just felt good and um, was taking my nutrition all of a sudden there wasn't that many girls with us and, and it was kind of crazy because I I don't think I realized at the time like where is everyone is just focused and um, kind of thinking, like saying my race day mentality, like my my words that keep me going, like just be present, um, enjoy like the little moments and like seeing things on the side, like the people cheering, um, all the people that have helped me get there and, and just kind of remembering those things in my head. And um, by, I think by all 20, I was like, okay, you can actually like race this thing. Like it's a 10K. Uh, try to, I guess, be a little bit faster than those around you, but use their encouragement and encourage them and, and smile and just like bring everyone with you. And, and I think Mary was around that uh, uh, time too. And I think by mile 25, I had started hurting it. And I'm like, oh no, like, here we go. Like my foot started cramping. Um, and yeah, I think Mary, you passed me and you're like, you're not giving up now. It's it's one mile like, to just get to the finish. And I think having the people around, it was a pretty incredible experience. Um, but the conf the shift in confidence throughout the race was just crazy to me. And and um, I, I really had to like dig deep and, and kind of fight for it. But I think it's the first time I've been able to like fight for something and and like just embrace it all and and show that you really can turn the day around even on a hard day so i love this it's so hard for anyone no matter what pace to run a negative split and sounds like that's what you did and having this shift in mindset because normally you know when you're training something goes bad and it just kind of tickles off and and goes worse and then i also love that you and Mary, well, that's me. <laughs> you guys are able to find each other and run together. And that's so heartwarming. And then you making these associations with having trained with her in the past and what she has in knowledge and kind of, you know, stick with that. So that's really cool. So Mary, let's hear your story about CIM. How did you feel on that day? How did it go for you? And what were kind of the challenges that you faced during the race? Sure. So I felt very at peace with the race. I said to myself, it's either happening or it's not. And the sub 237 is truthfully something that I saw in 2016 and have wanted since then. I felt like I've been working towards it for eight years, truly. And so for me, it's about the time because I was a 303 marathoner who dared to dream. And, you know, I don't think I knew what that pace was when I, when I set that goal for myself, I probably would have talked myself out of it had I known it was sub six, but I was like, two, three, seven, I feel like I could do that someday, like very far in the distance, which may sound crazy. Uh, but I was going to be just as stoked if I had to wait until 2025 or 2026 or 2028, like I was going to keep trying for it. And so coming into the race, and I found this over the years, I would say since end of 2019, I've managed to go into races very relaxed. Um, and the more relaxed I am, the better I sleep that week, the better I sleep the night before, and therefore the better I race. So I had to really like, and I always have to work on it. It's a practice, but I always have to like really focus on just trying to stay calm and, and reminding myself, you do a long run every weekend. You do a long run workout every weekend. Um, not every weekend has speed in it, but you know what I mean? Like we go through these pre-race motions basically of like, I very much do the same dinner that I'm going to have, you know, I, I have my fueling strategy figured out. So for me, it's, it's grounding to have those routines. And I just tell myself, 
it's a 26.2 mile workout at marathon pace and we're going to find out what those hundreds are. So that's how I stay calm going into it. And on race day, it, it was warm. It was humid. It, it wasn't like that 30 to 40 crisp day that CIM has been before. When I raced it, this was my third CIM. And so I said to myself, like, you need to be patient and you need to work with others and run within yourself because what I didn't want to do was lose sight of the goal and run too quickly and lose it. Um, there was that, that happened to a lot of people this weekend and I was in the elite start. So I was ahead of the pace, the pace group. I was, Sophie was in that group, the seated group. Were, or were you in the elite? You were seated, right? Mm, yeah. So when the race started, like it goes out fast. It always does. Um, I pulled back because the, the first mile is very downhill. It's very common to run a quicker, like the quicker end of your marathon range for that. But I made sure to not run like faster than the quicker end of my marathon range. And what I wanted was the pace group to catch me and like pass me. And then I would latch on to the back. And that's exactly what I did. I think the pace group caught me around mile five. And it was large at that point. I mean, gosh, what do you, how many women do you think were running in that group, Sophie? A lot. Um, I was in the back of it and they, there was kind of like two even. So there was one that was slightly under pace and then one that was yep. right on pace. And I think they did kind of merge probably around the time we caught you, but it was big. <laughs> hundred. Yeah. Hundred, yeah. And at first, yeah. I thought the group in front of me was the pace group, and then I was like seeing the splits come through, and I was like, "That's like no. the two fat." Like, and I didn't yeah. want to be there on this day. I was like, "If I split those miles, like at the end, that's great, but like that's not where I want to be at first. So I let the group pass me, yeah. and then I tried to just like stay on the back. And that's the first time I've really been in a pack that massive, and. At times I found it like kind of peaceful because I just could kind of turn my brain off, work, let the group do its thing. But then it would be very chaotic when there would be like a water noon aid station or a bottle pickup. I mean, people are like weaving and everything. So really having to stay vigilant and calm and then kind of like get back into place. Uh, cause I did have bottles and I still would slow and pick up like a noon and a water cup very frequently because I'm very susceptible to heat and humidity, like derailing me. I know that about myself. And so I knew I needed to take in like as much as possible so that I wouldn't crash and bonk at the end. And so there were times when I was running with the group that the pack would actually leave me and then I would have to like catch them. And so my miles weren't like as smooth as I wanted them to be. And it's, it's true. It's not the most efficient way to run, but like I needed to do that to be able to take in enough. And Sophie and I were near each other. I would say most of the race I kept like, we kept like kind of just like circling around, like coming back together, running side by side, exchanging words, like, how you doing? Like, how you feeling? And I remember I, she asked me how I was doing and I was like, I mean, I feel okay, but I know that could change at any minute. <laughs> and that's honestly how the day felt. Like it felt challenging. Like I would, but like the right amount of challenging the whole time where it's like, it's hard, but I'm doing it. And it's like, yeah, it's marathon pace. It's a race effort. It's not supposed to be easy. Like it's not supposed to feel like you're just doing a long run with friends. Like it's supposed to yeah. be like, you're like run going up against that, but not redlining yet. Uh, so I kept, waiting for like that mile to come where it just all of a sudden, like you can't do it anymore. And thankfully it didn't happen this race, but it started to happen for me at mile 22. I split like a 602 and I was like, I had that like negative thought come through that was like, and that's when you lost the race <laughs> because I was like, I don't know if like I can get back down. Like, but I did, I found that next gear, which was awesome. Uh, but the group did really fracture I would say around like 1920, it was like all of a sudden mm -hmm. there was no one around me. And I didn't like, I just kind of looked around and I was like, wait, where did everyone go? <laughs> and Sophie had pulled ahead at that point. I, I was very focused on just like maintaining because I was, I didn't want to push it 
And like just a couple seconds per mile can cause you to then take a big step back. And so for me, I was like, you're on it. Just maintain here. And then there was a guy cheering for us and he was cheering. He was saying my name and I was like, cheer for Sophie. <laughs> she was right like ahead of me. And then I had like passed her and I could feel that she was fading. And I was like, come on, Sophie, like, let's get this done. And I remember I was like slapping my side. I was like, come run next to me. Like, come run next to me. And it's like, I'm trying. <laughs> I don't know how either of us like could even speak at that point, but like, it was like short little words and sentences, but like we were, and I just remember like, I know my first mile and my last mile were my fastest. Um, and you know, I've, I've never had that next gear to be able to close strong like that. Like when all those negative demons are in your head telling you, you know, Oh, you'd be happy with like, just a PR, which is true. Like I would have been happy if I had run, you know, a 237 or a 238 or a 239, because that still would have been a PR. But like, I really wanted this goal. And it's crazy how your brain can start to try and talk you out of these things. And you're settling and you're bargaining because it's just, it's so uncomfortable. You've been running for like two and a half hours. You're ready to be done. <laughs> but I found that next level, which was awesome. And I truly know it was part in part because, you know, like Sophie said, it was comforting to know I was there. It was comforting for me to have her there to be like, stay with Sophie or like, you know, try to help pull Sophie along because we each had moments where we were feeling stronger than the other. And, you know, of course, you know, you got to run your own race, but if you can do it with someone else, it makes it feel not easy, but like, I'll say not as hard, right? It's something to focus on. It's a person that, you know, and turning that corner and seeing the clock. I mean, you can see it on all of our faces. We are just like cheesing. Like <laughs> we are so happy. It's like, like knowing that you did it and like all the work that's gone into this. And I know for me, it's like, it's been an eight year journey and I'm so proud of it. And it's, it's not been easy. It, it certainly has taken me years to get where I am. And it's taken each goal. I noticed this breaking three, breaking, you know, 245 now 237 it's taken me several attempts like three three attempts actually if we're being specific so three is my number um noted for the future <laughs> but you know it just makes me all the more grateful for it that it just challenges me and makes me question everything you know with the journey of like is this worth it like picking myself up off the pavement after a bad race or or whatever and continuing to just pursue it and then having it ultimately happen is just such a joyful thing. Oh my God. There's so much in this. And, um, I mean, the camaraderie between the two of you is amazing. And then having this goal. So what did it feel like crossing that finish line? I had chills when I saw your videos and I've seen other videos of people crossing the finish line, either right at the right time or just a few seconds after. And that stuff makes me cry. I'm just like, my gosh, this is so powerful so tell me um the happy stories like what did it feel like when you crossed the finish line what was the first thing you did obviously i know you guys hugged probably and uh, <laughs> yeah tell me all about that uh i'm i'm yeah like i i still like get chills um i it was a little bit of a, a shock to me i think and, and i didn't even know what to do <laughs> it was something i had worked for for a while right and like you've seen the lows and and I, I think for me it was like okay like i did it um and like hugging mary i was like like it was just this sense of relief like it it was it's kind of hard to describe um i think i had a lot of challenges going into it like with my blood sugars and it just all kind of like went away. Right. And, um, so I, I think I, the first thing I did, well, like I hugged Mary and I was like, all right, I want to find my phone and like call my family and, and whatnot. But I like was kind of in a state of delirium. I couldn't find like my insulin. So actually it was with the like lactating mother's station. And I was just like in a moment of like chaos and silence and just like, I was proud of myself for like getting it done. Um, it was the weirdest, like quiet calm, I think that I'd had all day and, and just like, yeah, it, it, 
I'm curious what Mary has to say, because I hadn't had that feeling before, um, like missing it in 2019 and and having to refocus. And, and like Mary said, you have bad races leading up to it. And, and those kind of seem to just go away, but they really are what I think brings power to the good moments, right? You have to go through those challenges and those lows. Yeah, Mary, let's hear from you. What was it? Our hug was finish line. Yeah, I was just going to say, our hug was epic. Like, we, like, dove for each other. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, no, who else is going to make it? And like, I, there was I the know, one girl. Was and just I, was, us. I was, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, we didn't know the woman who ran like, it showed like 2.37.03, but like her chip time was like 2.37 flat. So they did accept her for the trials. But I mean, we were the last three to make it. Um, you, Sophie, me, and then I think her name was Heather. Jessica. Heather. 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 There was a Jessica too, I think. But um, <laughs> it's like, I don't remember. We all had marathon brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. If we met on course, I probably don't remember your name. If I knew you from advance, mm-hmm. I remember your name. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were the last ones to, to do it. And we turned around waiting to see if they're... Because like in... 2019 there was a large group that came in right at 244 something like 50 right because that's where the pace pack came in our pace that the otq pace pack had completely fragmented way earlier like mile 19 or 20 so the fact that there were three of us that finished right around each other at the like 236 high 20 low 30 second range was like that was that was the group (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's all who was left from it. Uh, it was, there was a lot of, um, like massive carnage out there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was just very joyful, like just very happy. And one of my best friends was there. She's a co-coach with me at Lift Run Perform. Her name is Steph Flippin. She was there at the finish and I like ran into her arms and just seeing she was crying for me and like just having, you know, one of your closest friends there to to share that joy in that moment with something that I'll always cherish. And then I didn't really get to personally process it because I had to immediately go into coach mode. (laughs) I had uh, Steph and I coached a group together. We had uh, five. uh, I'm sorry we had five or six, I can't even remember, like finishing like very soon after. And then um, I had um, five one-on-one athletes that I coached who were finishing in the three hour range, like three to 350. So I immediately went over to be at the finish for them. And so uh, it was really special to share a race with, with all those athletes and um, just be there for them at the finish as well. Yeah, absolutely. And coach put down her, you know, credibility, obviously <laughs> qualifying for the Olympic trials. That's absolutely amazing. C- congratulations mm-hmm. to both of you. And um, now let's talk about the trials. How are you both approaching them? Are you approaching them as a victory lap or are you going for it? What's the plan for each of you? And let's start with you, Mary. Yeah. Um, it, it's meant to be a competitive race. Uh, and I plan to go into it the same way I did the last trials. This is my second, uh, Olympic trials and I want to, I want to compete. I want to see where I can rank. Uh, I don't allow the fact that, you know, this was a back-to-back marathon cycle to make me go into it with any type of like 
handicap, if you will, because this is exactly what happened to me last time. Uh, I did several back-to-back marathons in 2019 to qualify and then race trials. I actually did more of them. It turned out I was like collecting them. (laughs) Coincidentally, (laughs) I ended up doing five in 14 months, which is a lot because it was CIM 2018, Grandma's in June, Twin Cities I missed by 13 seconds, CIM I nailed it, and then I raced trials. It was a lot. But what I will say is I had 12 weeks between CIM and trials last time. This time I, we have, what, what are we at? Eight. I think it's eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so this time I had three training cycles, but two races because I didn't get to do Berlin. So it's grandma's should have done Berlin, but couldn't. I had the whole training cycle, but I didn't get broken down with a race CIM and trials. Um, and it's really just like a, you thread the needle to like, you're like really just like it's a maintaining fitness situation with balancing recovery. Uh, so it's like you get up a few key quality sessions, taper, do it again. Uh, so, you know, when I raced trials last time, I didn't have like a number goal in my mind of where I wanted to rank because it was about place, not time. Uh, trials was a very wind, windy day. It was also a very hilly course. It had 1400 feet of gain last time. Um, I actually did PR by a minute, but I didn't go into it trying to PR. I went into it trying to just improve my rank. And I would say that my goal would be similar for this one. Like I don't expect to necessarily PR because it's Florida. It's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. So I just want to run a smart race and, you know, execute the best race that I can. And if that ends up leading to a time, great. If I end up running off my time, that's not unexpected. Uh, So I would say that's how I plan to approach it. I love it. I love that you said it's a, you know, meant to be competitive and that you're going to do that. It's um, how about you, Sophie, how are you approaching the trials? I, I honestly, similar to Mary, I I think I want to compete and like take a bit of a risk. I mean, uh, building up to disqualifying, I think was tough um, and a lot of learning and, and having to like work, with like my support group. So I, I do work with a nonprofit and, and they support me for my diabetes. It's diabetes sports project and just learning from like other type ones to manage my blood sugars, like just and putting the training together and seeing what it takes. So just getting that qualifier was tough in itself, but I think I took away the element of being able to like fully just race and like take a risk and, and be a little bit more aggressive in that goal and, and just compete and try to move up similar to what Mary said and um, taking away the time element of it. Um, I tend to really enjoy like not having to look at a watch. Right. And, and so I think that's my intention um, for trials is just get so recover and then nail a few key workouts and, and just like get after it and, and focus on that race mentality and see what I can do. Um, and, and I agree. I'm, I'm kind of with Mary. Like, yeah, it's it's really close turnaround. But for me, I, I think shorter training blocks is sometimes mm-hmm. better. You don't overtrain. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather be healthy uh, and focus on the things I can control than maybe slightly overtrained. Um, I love it. I love it. And we'll be there. Hopefully we'll get to meet you ladies. If not, we'll be on the sidelines screaming for you. One of the many. So thank you so much for uh, joining me for this podcast. It was a real treat to talk to you and hear about some insights and what goes on when you're running that pace and how you approach the races. That was super insightful. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Mary and Sophie, so much for speaking with me. I cannot wait to hopefully meet you in person at the Olympic trials. I wish you a wonderful training cycle and that everything goes well and that you guys can go out aggressively and see what you can do as you challenge yourself. Um, And thank you so much for giving us your time and talking to us. Yes. So stay tuned for next week. 
I was going to make an announcement of what is going to happen next week, but I don't have that information yet. I have a billion episodes that I'm currently editing because we are going out of time towards the end of the year. Um, but stay tuned. It'll be something exciting, I'm sure. We encourage everyone to give us feedback, to let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you want to hear. We're trying to make it as good as possible for you guys. Yes, and I forgot to say, if you guys want to see a video of the two ladies finishing this marathon almost together, then follow us on Instagram. We are at Running Podcast. And of course, we will link their Instagrams also in our show notes. And with that, have a good week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information and marathon running news, please head to www.marathonrunningpodcast.com and we'll be back next week. Bye.